Welcome to the Forge America Missional Podcast. In this episode, we partner with the Exponential Conference and host a five-part webinar titled Mobilizing Missional Disciples. This episode is called Repentance, the Catalyst for Individual Formation and Community Transformation. Good morning, everyone. We are so glad that you are joining us for this webinar on repentance, the catalyst for individual formation and community transformation. Um, my name is Beth Wolf, and I'm joining you from um, Maryland, right outside of the DC area. And this is my co-host, Ryan. And um, we are super glad to have Candace Lewis and Jaimeni Jimenez with us today to talk about this very important conversation about repentance and how that sort of can be something that really does transform both our individual discipleship and formation as well as our communities. Um, so I'm going to ask for the two of you, can we just kick this off by you guys introducing yourselves? Um, uh, Candace, will you please go first? Sure. I'm uh, Candace Lewis. I'm, again, really excited to be here. Thanks, uh, Ryan and Beth, for having me. Uh, I currently serve as a president dean of Gammon Theological Seminary in Atlanta, Georgia, which is one of the 13 historically. Uh, it is one of the 13 United Methodist seminaries in Atlanta, and it is the only historically black United Methodist seminary that we have. So I'm honored to serve as the new president dean. I've only been in that role for about four months. Prior to that, I was uh, serving as a United Methodist uh, in a position called a district superintendent, where I oversaw 89 pastors and churches and in a mission field of about four counties, um, about 22,000 people in those counties. Prior to that, I worked uh, for Path One as a, in the United Methodist Church and in our denomination's church planting initiative. And prior to that, I actually served as a church planter for 12 years. Uh, so I've kind of served on several different levels in the life of the church and honored to be a part of this conversation today. Fantastic. Great. Hi, me. Sure. Hi. So good morning. My name is Jaime Jimenez. I'm also honored and glad to, to be here. I live in Houston, but I'm originally from Mexico. Uh, we have been in Houston for the last five years. Uh, by God's grace, my wife Natalia and I have been married for 13 years. We have two children, an eight-year-old boy, a six-year-old daughter. I'm the pastor of Mission and Mercy at Christ the King Presbyterian Church, but I have been involved in the church planting conversation for about 20 years my, my, eyes were, were, my eyes were open to the gospel at a, at a church plant. Then I worked for a church planting center in northern Mexico. Then I became a church planter myself. But a, a lot of what I thought I knew about church planting was kind of destroy or deconstruct, to use a better word, uh, in the last few years as we attempted a, a church plant among the international community here in Houston that it never really took off. But the Lord used that painful experience to work in my heart and to reshape many of my paradigms for church mission and disciple making. It was through that experience that I was led to Forge America. And I have had the, the honor and the blessing of being part of this tribe for a few years now. And later on, in partnership also with Forge America, we launched a small project called Blue Water Platform to pursue a dream of seeing smaller communities of faith being pioneer among Latinos and among other pockets of society where the evangelical church still has a, a weak presence. So that's part of what I do today. And I'm just passionate about the mobilization of the people of God for the mission of God. And that's awesome. Jaime, thank you so much for introducing yourself, Candice. Uh, Beth, for kicking us off. My name is Ryan Hairston. I'm the national director of Forge America and have been part of the Forge tribe for the last um, 11 years and feel quite an honor to be part of this organization that has had such a transformational impact in my own life. And so, um, but yeah, Candice, Jaime, I'm so excited that you guys are going to get to share with us today on this topic of 
repentance. Now, um, one of the things that I would like to do just to kind of get us moving um, into this conversation is just to show you a picture. And this picture is an image that we have been using over the course of the last year to help people really process um, really all that has happened um, in this last year, whether it be COVID or whether it be this long overdue reckoning with the injustice um, in this country. And it's been helpful for me. I know it's been helpful for many others. And I'd love to share it with you just to kind of give you more of a visual of what it is that we are talking about today. Um, so let me just do that really quickly. Here you see this um, individual on the left and over on the right, we have this idea of a a better future or a greener pasture. And oftentimes when we face challenges of many kind, um, it seems like that greener fat pasture is miles and miles and miles away. Um, and oftentimes the thing that we want to do most is just to try to figure out what is a practice, what is a program, what is the band-aid, what can we do to try to jump over this chasm and get very, very quickly over to that greener pasture. And one of the things that we've realized is that's not always the best route to take. And really this other route is this downward route that begins with an increasing amount of awareness that at a pivotal point leads to action. Um, and really at that pivotal point, right there in the middle at the bottom is this idea of repentance or metano metanoia. Um, but before we get there, we really have to do some, uh, some unraveling. We have to let us kind of really experience some of the current challenges that we're facing. Um, and we have to begin to ask the question, what is in fact being uncovered in this moment? And there is no doubt that God has used this last year um, to uncover so many things. And so one of the questions that I would like to kind of kick our time off with um, and Candace, we'll start with you, but whether it be um, COVID or whether it be this long overdue reckoning with kind of racial injustice, um, what do you sense has been uncovered in this last year? What do you feel like has been exposed in the church? Uh, that's a great uh, question, Ryan. And I, I really appreciate the illustration. Um, and the part of the illustration that first talks about this uncovering and this unraveling the the, the reality, though, for this on what's what's being described as an uncovering of racial injustice, it's been seen by millions of people, but unseen by others. That's what it's kind of felt like. And so and, I, and, and again, I'll, I'll speak more so to the um, reality that we've experienced over the last year or so uh, with the death of George Floyd. And I just think it was just kind of watching that video and watching that injustice last for almost nine minutes. It just it's almost like a, a Paul moment for many, like the scales fall off, fell off of people's eyes. But for hundreds of thousands of, or millions of African-Americans who've lived with this injustice for over 400 years, we've seen it. We see it every day. We've experienced it every day. So it's been uh, refreshing to see, uh, you know, white supremacy be named. It's been refreshing to see white privilege be named. And it's been refreshing to see uh, just this kind of wrestling with these realities in real honest ways and and in some ways kind of uh, 
engaging in different conversations, whether it be, you know, reading books and just, but moving just beyond reading a book, but, you know, beginning to ask that real question, what can I do and what can my church do in this community? So it brings me to uh, two scriptures that I just like to center my comments on. The first one comes from Matthew chapter 23, verse number 23, and I'm reading it from the New International Version. And it says, woe unto you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, not present company included, but anyway. All right. It says, it says uh, you give a tenth of your spices, your mint, your dill, and your cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. And so to me, I've seen this scripture really uh, come to fulfillment or just be a guy just really use the scripture to really illuminate what's really happening. So, cause what's, what's been happening, it just feels like there's been a, a neglecting of things that have always mattered to God, but you know, the church just, you know, can't focus on everything and all at one time, whatever rationale we have given, but it, it clearly says we, we focus on uh, giving of our tithe and, and, and giving of our, our, our gifts and our efforts to God we've neglected matters that are weightier. Uh, and the three that are named in that scripture are justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And faithfulness, again, and we, we do faithfulness well because faithfulness is, is those actions that we do because of our faith. So we go to church, we read scripture, we do in small groups. Those are things that we do in light of our faithfulness. Mercy, we do mercy ministries really well in the church too. We give to different missions and ministries. We go on mission trips. So we do mercy well. Justice is not something that we've done well. But this is a season where God is revealing that so we can begin to, again, repent and just begin to ask God to kind of lead us in a new direction where we can begin to do uh, biblical justice well, which uh, really involves kind of dealing with the systems and the root causes and addressing the root causes of injustice in our communities. And I think that's what this season has really been about is exposing where things have been uncovered and now we see it. And so now the church gets a chance to kind of lean into it. Again, the scripture from Micah reminds us that what does the Lord require of us? And this is not optional, friends. This is required of us to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. And so I'm honored to be a part of this conversation. I'm honored to be able to come alongside of pastors who are asking a question like, hey, where do I begin? And that's the great question. So don't feel bad that, you know, you're just getting started on the journey. Today is a good day to get started. Man. Oh, gosh, Candace, thank you for sharing that. I mean, as you even as you shared that, it, it made me kind of think back over the last year and even this um, kind of this uncovering of, you know, we often talk about the missional conversation, mm -hmm. but it really uncovered in, in my own heart, in my own life, how narrow the missional conversation is. But it's primarily because of much of my white middle class culture. It's sure. that it's easy to to limit missional to neighboring and being a good neighbor and you know, being involved in the community. Well, oftentimes that's what, you know, other cultures um, do best. And um, it, it doesn't always include justice because honestly, I, I don't ever have to worry about it. And so it's been a great uncovering of how narrow oftentimes I've made the missional conversation. So I'm really, I really appreciate you sharing that. Um, so yeah, Jaime, what about you? I mean, you're in a different context um, we're all in different contexts here from Atlanta, Florida, Maryland, Texas. I'm in New York City. Jaime, your context, what have you seen? What has what has been uncovered in this last year? Right. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, the, the racial struggle, I think it's a tough one for for the last year. If, if um, From a broader sense, uh, I, I mean, I think there's a lot that has been uncovered and still 
being uncovered, to be uncovered, to be revealed by this pandemic. I mean, just think about it. About a year ago, we were talking about how to respond to an emergency crisis. You know, I, I, I like to think of it as when you call a doctor's office and the answer machine says, if this is a life-threatening emergency, please hang up and dial 911. And that's exactly where we were 18 months ago. We were trying to respond out of an adrenaline rush. And, and in many ways, what we were trying to solve immediately was how to keep the programs running, the programs that have come to frame our understanding of, of church. I mean, before the pandemic, I will say that we were blind, in, at least many of us were blind to how central the property, the, the programs and the paid staff had become to our idea of church and also how Sunday-centric we had become to the point where our definition of church basically only worked when we were gathered as a community and not when we were scattered through, through the week. But the pandemic threw a, a, a curveball on us because suddenly our property was closed, our programs were, were canceled, our paid staff had to stay at home. And then the weekly goal of providing a great experience on Sunday morning had to be moved online, which after a while, I'm sure you all agree, is not that exciting. So, I mean, perhaps with, with the risk of generalizing, I will say that churches that were defined by these elements and centered completely around Sunday worship or the Sunday gathering enter into an, an identity crisis. And of course, there have been many voices before the pandemic that have pointed out this defective understanding of, of the church that at its core has lost its identity as the missionary people of God. But um, the pandemic really helped us, you know, begin to begin listening, to begin asking questions, even at a surface level where, where there were things popping out here and there um, and, and producing some interesting conversations. For example, the language of closing and reopening church, um, it, there's something weird about that. I mean, if you think about it, when did Jesus gave us permission to close his church because there, there was a pandemic, you know? But, 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 but why, why did we have to use that language? Well, maybe because our most fundamental idea of church has actually been attached to the property and to the programs that were now canceled. Maybe because we have only validated um, that the gathered expression of the church and not the scattered expression of, of the church that happens through the week in smaller communities. So to me, that marked um, the beginning of, of uh, the pandemic. But uh, at that point, I would say that our main focus was not to question our paradigms, was just trying to solve the, the immediate crisis and trying to move everything online. And, and I get it. I mean, in a sense, we all were overwhelmed. But then as the, as the months went by and as the pandemic continued to unfold and, and we came to, the, to grips with the fact that this was not a one-month thing or a two-month thing, and, and even as the, as the pandemic end, you know, keeps moving farther and farther away from us, there are deeper things that are being rebuilt and that will continue to be rebuilt. I think that in many ways we are still in a dark tunnel and we are just beginning to see some of the effects of this pandemic. So... To use again the, the metaphor of calling to a doctor's office, I think that it is similar to when you call the, the, to make an appointment and the next available appointment is in eight weeks from today, but you still take it and you still take it because you know there's something wrong in your body and you need to pay attention to it. 
So thank God you don't need an ambulance or a CPR right now, but you might eventually need it if you don't pay attention to the underlying issues that are going on in your body. And, and I think that that's the blessing or could be the blessing of, of such a long pandemic that we get to question our underlying assumptions and paradigms. Mm. If, if the pandemic had lasted for only like two months, you know, we will have moved everything into Zoom and then back from Zoom. And I, I think that instead of questioning our paradigms or assumption, we will actually have reinforced them. And, and as Proverbs says, you know, lean more into our own understanding but such a pandemic and unrest is just squeezing us. So to give an example, you know, perhaps before the pandemic, we believed that we were making strong disciples through Sunday school, let's say. And then Sunday school got canceled. So then it was moved. We move everything into Zoom. We solve the problem. But even then we began to think, you know, our members have been in Sunday school, maybe five, maybe 10, maybe 15 years. I mean, shouldn't shouldn't they be ready to, to take ownership of the mission and make disciples on, on their own and know how to react, you know? Shouldn't the pandemic be like the best opportunity to, to graduation day, you know? So similar questions began to bother us, but then after the excitement of going online and, you know, using Zoom with a background kind of went away and the tiredness and the hopelessness began to unravel and the different types of physical, mental, emotional, spiritual crisis began to arise, then we were forced to ask deeper questions and explore some of the underlying issues. So that's when we began to ask, well, is actually, is our disciple making actually working? You know, are we seeing more mature followers of Jesus um, joining him in, in his mission? And if not, where have we missed the way? You know, where, where, where did we miss Jesus? And I feel that in many ways, that's exactly where we are right now. And I'm sorry, I'm going long here, but I will like, just do one more layer to what has been uncovered, because this has been a very long conversation, and, and it has a more positive note to it, because the fact that we have grown in our distaste from our previous mode of existence, it's an opportunity to dream with a better future, with a church that is stronger, that is healthier, that is tastier, more joyful, and, um, you know, a better taste and pointer to the kingdom of God. You see, even if the pandemic ends tomorrow, this pandemic is already a landmark event that will define our generation. But assuming, I'm assuming that we will survive the pandemic and to continue with the doctor's appointment metaphor, it might be time to start thinking ahead and scheduling our annual physical exam, which if you think about it, it's not a corrective visit, but a preventive visit because we want to make sure that we are paying attention to the indicators of what healthy means. And I think that the pandemic has revealed and it's revealing both things, the sense of crisis and the underlying assumptions that we need to turn away from. And then the opportunity to, to walk towards a better future of a church that is growing in every way into him who is the head into Christ, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter four. Amen. Amen. Yeah. That was great. That was great. Amen. Now, for those of you who are just joining us, we wanted to say welcome. We are here with Jaimini Jimenez and Candace Lewis. Uh, both of them have um, had various positions helping with church planting and um, uh, and we're super, super glad that they're a part of this missional conversation. Um, I, my next question is really tying the two things together. Both of them were just talking about sort of um, what has happened through COVID, what has been, um, sort of how have things unraveled this past year to show us this next place that we've been. And I love what was shared because Jaime, you talked about the challenge of 
how church had become so centralized on programs, property, and paid staff, and how that really left us in this lurch where we didn't know what to do, this crisis of identity. And Candace, you were talking about how um, the church has lost its ability or, or it, the importance of justice or had lost the importance of justice. And so with what has happened this past year, there was sort of this renewed recognition, although the, um, that, that, that there have been millions of people who have known it all along and known the justice that was, uh, the injustice that was happening and the justice that was needed to be fought for. There's lots of people who are just getting started. And I loved what you said at the end in terms of like, hey, let's not, um, let's not look down upon our small and humble beginnings. Like today's a new day, let's go ahead and start. And this is sort of what this needs to look like. So I love how those two things really do um, tie together. And so Candace, Ryan was telling me that you guys had a conversation before this um, webinar where he had asked the question like, hey, where have we missed Jesus? And you sort of stopped him and you said, no, 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 that's the wrong question. <laughs> the better question is where is Jesus inviting us to move away from and to move towards? Can you talk a little bit more about that? Because I thought that was excellent. Yeah, thank you. And again, I, Jaime, just thank you for everything you shared. It was just, it was just so insightful and, and your illustrations and your metaphors are just really helpful. So again, if I was going to build on what the great foundation that Jaime has laid as he talks about, so as we think about, you know, this reality, this moment that we're in uh, about repentance and this idea of metanoia and, and changing and going into a new direction. In Ryan and I's conversation, it was, I, for me, I believe that God is inviting us to, and, and really trying to empower the church, church leaders individually and the church collectively, even in response to its community, to our communities where our churches have already been planted, is that, uh, again, we can we can start again today. You you can start something new today. You don't have to, even though you might not have done uh, things this way before, but it's just this reality. As, as Jaime was talking about, it, and it's, it's such an invitation for us not to get stuck, right, mm -hmm. and not to allow pride to kind of blind us as if we don't have something new that God is showing us, and or if we don't have something new that God is inviting us to. We don't. We can acknowledge that our assumptions have lived for a season. Everything is for a time and for a season. So the assumptions that the church was built on uh, from the 80s to 2021, they it worked for that season, but now God is really inviting us into a new season. Scripture says, remember not the former things, don't consider the things of old because I'm going to do a new thing. Now it's going to spring forth, shall you not perceive it? And that perceiving, I believe, that is what God is inviting church leaders to lean into now. And But repentance is a part of that. It's to say like, hey, I need to just stop and not continue to go in the direction that I was going into before. God is inviting me into something new. And let me just admit that I don't know what that looks like. God, I'm sorry. I don't already know it. I don't already see it. But I'm going to just pause uh, so I can, uh, you know, go in a new direction. And I think that's just the invitation. And I think it's it's more of an invitation than this condemnation that everything you've been doing is wrong and bad. I don't think that's what the spirit is saying to us, but it's this invitation that says, but today you can stop, you can evaluate, you can acknowledge what is being uncovered and revealed to us, and you can uh, repent and we can move into a new direction. So I think it's a, it's a bigger message of invitation uh, at this moment. And that's just the way I feel like God is helping to shape it for me and for the people that I'm you know, being able to share with. I love that, Candace. That's really helpful. And immediately my mind draws to those very first words of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. And, you know, repent, 
The kingdom mm-hmm. of God is at hand. It's mm-hmm. not so much looking back, but look ahead. And, and mm-hmm. where is God inviting us to in this next season? Mm-hmm. Um, and for those that are joining us, as Beth said, one of the things that I, I've tried to, I tried to do at the beginning was just to share an image of a lot of the conversation that we're having today. It's been a good visual representation for me um, and for many others that I, I've come across. And this will not only serve as a visual representation for today, but even for our next four or five webinars after this one. And let me just share that with you again. And then um, I'll pose another question to you, Candice. Um, you know, oftentimes as Jaime and as Candice has shared, we have really experienced a lot of challenges over the course of this of this last year. Things have felt at many different times like they are unraveling. And I love the illustration, Jaime, that you shared. Um, is it a Band-Aid or do we need to go in for um, something beyond that? Um, and oftentimes we try to fix it with a, a Band-Aid. We try to jump this chasm um, to get to this right side of this drawing, which is a, a better future or a greener pasture. And oftentimes that does not in fact do it, especially when we're talking about missional disciples or um, impacting a community or joining God in his redemptive mission in the world. Um, what really the pathway um, kind of is for, for us going forward is this downward pathway where we not only feel the unraveling, but we do ask God, what have you uncovered in this season? And Jaime and Candace shared so eloquently um, some of those things that they have seen in their context. And now we get to this place of unlearning. And and as you see at the bottom, it goes from awareness to action. And so we're kind of growing in awareness, growing in awareness, growing in awareness. And then we hit this, we hit this point. And um, this point is, Candace, is what I want to ask you. It's this point of conviction. It's this point of metanoia. It's this point of repentance. And so, um, and then we get there before we can kind of move upward uh, towards that greener pasture. But I love the definition of repentance that you shared with me, Candace. Would you share that with everyone today? And then would you mind just explaining a bit? Yeah, of course. And, you know, in a, in a pre-conversation, you always wish you could have stated it exactly like you stated it before. <laughs> I know, right? Right. But here, here's the thing. So, and again, still thinking about this and, and preparing for the conversation today, I, I think a couple of different things about uh, this moment of repentance and this conviction that God is really uh, impressing upon us in this moment and in this season. And it's a conviction about justice and or how we have responded to injustice. It is a conviction about the church and the core you know, beliefs of the church and the core function of the church is the church being the church that Christ died uh, to redeem. And it is the church being today the church that God's that the world even needs us to be to really bring light and salt into the world. Um, actually, a, a thought that I had is that, again, we can't allow our pride in all that we've God's already allowed us to accomplish. We can't allow ourselves to be blinded in this moment. We have to just allow that honest conviction to come upon us and acknowledge that God is inviting us to go in a new direction and just take courage and be and admit that I don't know this new direction that God is inviting me to, but I can see the signs all over that this is a new direction that God is inviting me to. And uh, one thing, one initial thought I had, Ryan, was this reality that, um, and, and, and just because God didn't judge us based on the previous things that we've done wrong, it didn't mean that we were getting it right. The scripture says that in 2 Peter 3, 9, just because God, I, just because God didn't judge us quickly, that's what I'm saying. It didn't mean that we were doing it okay. Uh, the scripture reminds us that Jesus is a God is long suffering, not willing that any should 
perish, but that everybody should come to repentance. And so God has been very patient with the church, bringing us to this point and very long suffering with the church. And so it's almost like, I think we think if we were like Ananias and Sapphira, right? If God would judge us quickly and instantly, you know, if we were stealing, God just judged us instantly. And then we would, we would have a better uh, sense that we need to respond with a sense of urgency to what God is saying to us now. But because we don't get judged quickly or instantly, sometimes we think that what we're doing is okay. And again, I just think the signs are all around us. Thank you for even having this conversation that says, no, friends, we're at a point of repentance. This is an invitation of God to say, friends, you can go in a new direction. Take courage, be humble, trust God, know that God's going to show us the direction. The scripture says God will lead us by a pillar of fire by day, a pillar of cloud by day, fire by night. And so just trust that God is going to guide you in the new direction that you're invited to go into as it relates to your church, your community, your discipleship, your response to justice in your particular context. Trust that God is with you. Trust that God is calling you. Hear God's call and respond in a way that just is humble. God, forgive me. Uh, and I am open and ready to go in a new direction. And I'm open and ready to lead people in a new direction. And people are waiting on pastors and leaders to just admit that, hey, I don't know what to do in this moment. This is more than I've just not been at this place before. And we have to trust that God can bring us into new places and new spaces that we've not seen before. We've not been there before. And that is the journey of faith in this season that I think God is inviting us to. So, Ryan, I hope I covered something that we previously talked about. But I did want to lift up the fact that God is a very long suffering God with us. And God's been very patient with us. But I do think this is a moment of reckoning that we can lean into if we just take courage uh, and admit we haven't gone down this road before, but God is very ready to take us by the hand and lead us forward. And we're going to do it together. So you're not alone. We're doing this together. So let's do it together, friends. I I love that because I I think that conversation about repentance is it's it's, uh, simple. It's not easy, but it's a simple thing of like, hey, can we humbly admit that that we might have done something or we may not know where we're going and, um, and take the journey to learn something new. Mm-hmm. And that really seems simple. And it seems like, well, of course that's fine. But I know as a pastor, typically the expectation of my congregation is that I know all the answers and that I know what I have done, that I know what, where we're going and what we're supposed to do. And sometimes I think that that um, is a result of like the cult of, uh, programs, places, and paid staff where it's like, Hey, you, you're the professional, like you're supposed to know how to do this. And I love that permission to be able to stop for a second and say, Hey, let's ask some questions about whether this is the right thing, um, to do. Um, one of the questions that came in from our, um, those joining us is as we are going through this repentance process, at what point do we lead the church through these same steps? Um, and steps, do we do these steps with us? Do we do them after we finish the process? Um, Ryan, I know you have some experience with that. I mean, Candace and Jaime, I know you have as well. Would you say as you're going through this process of unraveling and unlearning and repentance, is this something that we do as the leaders on our own? Or is this something that we take the church through a process of doing? Or maybe we do it with them after we've done it ourselves. How, how would you respond to that? Golly, great, great question here, um, Beth, and great question by one of the uh, uh, one of the folks here joining us today. I, I do think that I think this is a journey, and I think this is a process. That's not just a one time process. It's and it's not just simply for the big issues. I have found 
that not only have I done this as I've wrestled with large issues within the context of church over the course of the last year, uh, but I have come to my own understanding of doing it with all the little things as well. Mm. Now, the extensiveness of this may not necessarily uh, be done within within every situation. Um, but I do think it is incredibly helpful to take this learning pathway or this learning journey, um, at least downward until we get to the right side and up. And again, we'll talk through the right side and the up. What are those steps along the way over the next four or five weeks? But um, but we did wanna just kind of camp out here on this repentance piece. The only, the second other piece of kind of that I would share is that I do think it is important um, that we at least need to begin this process in us. And before we even take the entirety of the church with us, we need to take a few others um, so that we can create, I hate to use the word create, but so that there is a tangible picture that exists in our own life and in the life of a few others that may not quote unquote be professionals, that might be the everyday folks, for the everyday folks that oftentimes fill our congregations, for them to see and them to understand and them to kind of get it like, ah, this is what it looks like in, um, in the accountant or the businesswoman or the stay-at-home parent or the school teacher or the grandparent or the college student. It's, um, we need a few of those examples um, if we're going to help lead and usher others into that um, along the way. So, Beth, that would be my two cents. I'd love to hear others' thoughts as well. Candace, I had a little bit of a question following up with this in terms of if I was an individual and I recognized, you know, my role as a pastor and our lack of, uh, uh, our, my lack of leading my church on this path of justice, what would be your suggestion in terms of um, how do I begin this process of repentance as an individual before I lead my whole church in this process? So again, I think uh, from a justice perspective and or a lack of acknowledgement of the injustice that has happened uh, and that you're, that and I think one of the realities too with the justice and the injustice piece, I think in this generation, we're going to, we're inviting people to engage in the, in the dealing with the injustices and creating a more just and, and whole and society for everybody to live in so our children and our children's children can have a better future. Because when you talk about uh, dealing with the impacts of, of slavery, that was 400 years ago. And some people can very callously say like, oh, that's just in the past. I didn't create it. So I don't have any responsibility in dealing with it. Well, history has shown that uh, many have benefited and have privileges today that came from that time. But so, so we want, we're inviting people to move into this season, not out of a sense of guilt, but out of a sense of, of accepting responsibility that says, hey, I might have not have been the immediate cause of this injustice, but I want to be a part of God's healing of this injustice. I want to be a part of God's reconciliation of this time. I want to be a part of God's redeeming of this moment. I want to be a part of the reparations that God wants to give to people who have been harmed. And so, so then what's the pastor's immediate response? I would say, look in your immediate community, look in your local church, look, look, look very locally first. I wouldn't try to address it globally first. I would just look locally. And I just think there are examples in everybody's community where God is inviting church leaders to become a voice of justice uh, or injustice and where they have, may have been silent before. And I think that's really the biggest thing is where you most have been silent before. But and again, uh, don't do it alone. Talk to the leaders. Again, join a pastor. There's a pastor of a different race in your community. 
Uh, and, I, and I think if people are honest and when we're honest with ourselves, we know what our kind of next steps are. We just have to take courage to engage in them and we have to let go of the pride and and let go of that uh, kind of resistance that would make us uh, resist, you know, kind of stepping into this with some humility and, and some cultural openness and awareness. Does that make sense? And so, yeah, so I think it's, yes. I, I think we know what the next steps are. We know what we can actually try and how we can take some next honest, earnest steps. And I just think pastors just have to give themselves permission to and trust that this is the right thing to do and obey and honor God in, in doing those kind of next right steps. That's great. That's super helpful. Um, Jaime, what about you? Can you speak to a little bit about the centrality and the importance for repentance in, in this area? Sure. Um, and, and I want to I go back to something that Candace said, because I think it's very, it's very, um, I mean, I appreciate very much to keep this positive, positive note on, on repentance. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I'm reminded of Paul's words when he says that it is the, the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. So it is an opportunity and it, it is an opportunity to grow and it's because it is an opportunity to go back to Jesus. And um, addressing some of the questions that I've, I've been asked, um, you know, as, as Ryan mentioned, repentance is an everyday thing. I think on, on Martin Luther, when he nailed his 95 thesis to the Wittenberg Cathedral on October 31st, 1517, you know, he basically began by talking about repentance. And he said that our Lord and Master Jesus Christ will the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Now, Luther was not talking about repentance as a way of atoning for your sin. That probably was his view before he understood the gospel. And that's a very depressing exercise that will probably only lead us to to guilt and shame and feel farther away from God. But that's not what he meant there. What Luther was saying here is that the way we make progress in the Christian life, the way you increase your joy, the way you grow and the way you um, the way sin is defeated in our lives is through repentance, because repentance takes us back to Jesus. And that's exactly whom we all need. But but to understand how how it takes us back to Jesus, you know, we need to remember that repentance implies these two movements that we have been talking about and that, that Candace mentioned. We, you know, we turn away from some, some from something, but then to look forward to something, we turn our back on something and then we we, we face something new. Now, um, we could talk about this uh, uh, in the sense of personal renewal. Uh, but let me focus here on what it means in relation to to the mission of the church and disciple making, because what we're talking about here is not just making small adjustments or changing our strategy, you know, or maybe copying what is working for other churches. What we're talking about here is doing the hard work of going deep or deeper and question our own presuppositions and assumptions asking where have we left Jesus on the side and identifying even the underlying idols that have come to define who we are and what give us value. You see, um, the people of God in the Old Testament, uh, their failure as a, as a light to the nations was connected to their idolatry. And, and I'm sure that idolatry is at the root of many of our own failures and, and our own struggles and even the racial struggle even though we might have different um, or more sophisticated idols, perhaps. And I mentioned before a, a, a very frustrating church planting experience that I had. 
and, and to me, that was a, a crisis that revealed many things. And in, at a deep level, some of the things that I came to realize is how much I define success in the same way the world does. Then how much my identity as a church planter was attached to that idea of success. It also revealed my, my how much my heart craves for glory and how much that shapes my own dreams for, for what church should be and how much I rely on my own understanding for making things happen and how little I trust Jesus' way of doing things and, and how little I trust the work of the Spirit. Now, I don't know if any of you that are listening relate to any of these struggles, but if you do, I can almost guarantee you that it is not just an individual struggle, but a collective struggle that shapes the culture of your church and the dreams that you are pursuing. So we need to turn away from certain things, but at the same time, we need to turn to Jesus. And as we talk particularly about the church, we need to dream with a church that will embody the gospel better. So if, if the only thing we get out of COVID is a better skill for making videos and for streaming online, I mean, we have wasted the pandemic. You know, we should long and dream for real transformation, for a, a purified church that looks more like Jesus, not simply for improved techniques or strategies. We shouldn't settle for early dreams like making our name bigger in the Christian world or expanding our ministry. You know, aim instead for a more biblical picture of the body of Christ where every member of the body brings something unique and beautiful to the table and where everybody gets to play in the everyday mission of God. You know, don't shoot for a more professional church, but for a church that has lots of room for messiness where Jesus will shine and people's lives will be transformed. You know, don't dream for a successful ministry, but dream instead for the transformation of the community around you for the glory of God. You know, don't, don't aim for, for a church with the perfect strategy, but for a church that is truly dependent on the work of the Spirit and that is so alive that new things are constantly being pioneered, you know, for a movement that you can't stop. So we need to do this exercise of recalibrating back to Jesus in our identity, in our church identity, in our methods, in our scorecard. We need to turn in that direction. But most importantly, we need to be captivated, not just by this better future of the church, but by, by Jesus himself. Man, I, I love that, that whole idea of being captivated by Jesus and turning away from whatever it is the idol was back to Jesus. I have a good friend of mine, um, Drew Thurman, who talks about that there is a church planting monster in all of us that is constantly looking for these particular metrics and this sort of validation. Um, and it's difficult because every day we have to repent of that particular thing and those metrics and trying to feed that church planting monster to turn towards Jesus, towards the real things that he's calling us to, like justice. <laughs> and uh, justice sometimes doesn't grow things quickly. And so there's just this reality of like, no, 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 what is, what is God really calling us to, to turn away from those things that look so shiny and so appealing that the world validates and instead towards Jesus, towards our call and mission of justice and mercy and compassion. And I just, I, I love that. And it's, it's, it's tricky because sometimes, um, 
another friend of mine recently said that like, when you look for justice and the things of God, it's like planting cherry trees. And when you plant cherry trees, you don't see anything for five to seven years. It, you just keep digging and you keep fertilizing and you keep watering. And yet when you plant corn, you get it within a matter of months. And so corn planting is so exciting. It's got these big stalks and you can immediately eat it. Um, and so sometimes it's easy to go after that, but what God is truly calling us to is this long-term cherry tree, justice-oriented, world-changing, Jesus-following culture. And, and, I, and I love this conversation because for me, it's invigorating and inspiring me to continue after what God is really calling us to. Mm, Beth, that's good. I, I appreciate that you picked up on the metric point. And Jaime, I, I like that you mentioned that and this idea of this church planting monster. I mean, I know over the course of the last year, one of the things that I feel like has continued to be uncovered, but a call to repentance is this idea of continuing to live um, smaller and more narrow and to go deeper. But um, me living really well within two or three blocks in my New York City neighborhood um, and not trying to reach all of New York City doesn't quite get the numbers, um, so to speak, that, um, that trying to round up all the Christians across the city does. Um, it's, it's long. It's um, an investment of time, energy, resource, um, and it's, it's slow going. But at the same time, I've also come to realize there's a reason. It's, it's life-giving. <laughs> you know, It's to be able to go deep and have true relationships with people. So uh, that metric thing is a really, really important thing to, to rethink um, what's really important to us because it is a reflection of the culture. Um, uh, and so the other thing that you, that you mentioned, Jaime, that I, I just kind of wanted to respond, it made me think of a book that I'm reading. Now, it's a business book. It's called Think Again by a guy named Adam Grant. And um, he's written a few other books. Uh, I think the book before this was called Originals. Um, and it was a really great book as well. Um, not a Christian book, a business book, but he, he challenges this, uh, this idea of us um, kind of being set in stone in all of our understandings. And he, he says this, and I think this will be put in the, in the chat field, but he just simply says, when people reflect on what it takes to be mentally fit, the first idea that comes to mind is usually intelligence. The smarter you are, the more complex the problems you can solve and the faster you can solve them. Intelligence, though, is a traditionally viewed as the ability to think and learn, yet in a turbulent world, there's another set of cognitive skills that might matter even more. It is the ability to rethink, and it is the ability to unlearn. And I just found that so profound, and I think the implications for us as a church um, is so profound. We are operating um, I love how Alan Hirsch says it. We are trying to operate the New York City subway with a map of the London tube, um, so to speak. It's that we are trying to do church in a new era with a church that was designed in a type of church that was designed 1500 years ago. It might be time to turn back to Jesus and to rethink what it means to be the good news um, people of Jesus in the places that we find ourselves. And that will and should look differently depending upon the context, um, which only heightens the ability to think like a missionary, um, to think like a missional um, disciple. And so um, another great resource that I've come across um, and have read on this idea of unlearning and rethinking is a book by Alan Hirsch himself and Mark Nelson, 
called Reformation, and it's a it's a great it's a great read too. Um, I want to I want to kind of we've we've kind of talked about this idea of of repentance and metanoia, and there is this point of there is this point, and it's kind of the central point of are we going to move to just simply being aware to a point of of action? Are we going to just say, that's great, that's great, that's great, that's great. And to refer to kind of the image that we've been using, are we just going to keep awareness or are we going to, in fact, move towards action um, at that kind of at that central point? And so I would like to ask the question um, to Jaime and, and to Candice as well. Um, after we've been made aware, there's now this call to rethink and wrestle. So what would your encouragement be to pastors and planters? Um, what are, what are not, what is our next action step? Um, so, yeah. Uh, so I would say uh, again, around the, the issue of justice, so the work of justice is not done alone. So don't assume that your church can tackle the injustices in your community by yourself. You don't have to do this alone. Chances are whatever community that you're in, there are already organizations that have been doing the work of justice and they would welcome you joining them, not to be the savior of them, not to try to lead them in a new direction, but to come in first with humility, to come in with to come in listening, to come in being prayerful and asking God to continue to reveal to you where can how can you be a part of the work of healing your community? How can you be a part of the work of seeing your community restored, seeing justice? Uh, restored and renewed in your community. The scripture in Amos reminds us that God wants to see justice roll down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. And you can be a part of just that, this rolling down of justice and this and this righteousness coming to a community in missional ways that are going to be transformative. And so I would just encourage you to um, look in your community to see what's already happening, see who you can join, what organization can you join, what pastor can you join, what leader can you join uh, in the work of justice and in the work of dismantling racism and doing the work of becoming an anti-racist context and community. Some, again, everybody's recommended good books. I certainly would recommend Ibram Kendi's book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, Jamar Tisby's book on uh, racial justice, and uh, Dismantling Racism are a couple of books, and I can also send some other books and opportunities. Uh, yeah, and just, just engage it with, with honesty, with humility, with some openness, and be okay. You're going to get it wrong. You're going to make mistakes. And so don't, don't put this kind of pressure on yourself that just says you got to get this right. No, we, we don't. God's going to show us what to do. And so it's okay that you don't know what to do, but just kind of going in with this openness and honesty to make mistakes, learn as you go. Uh, be accountable to. I think that's the other thing you want to find somebody is, is that you can be accountable with. Uh, just personally in this season too, it's been really, really tough for me as a African-American woman leading in the church. Um, and it was tough for me to uh, join my uh, white colleagues uh, in their uh, conversations, you know, whether it was a conversation about what should I do or teach me and all this other kind of stuff. But either way, I can say that I have a, I honestly grown in this season too. God has really uh, opened my heart to my colleagues. One in particular, her name is Beth and Beth, uh, Beth's a white female. She's an amazing leader. And this has just been a real time of awakening for, for Beth. She's like, Candace, I just did not know. I did not know. And she and I have cried together and we've laughed together and we have just agreed to stay together. 
And um, and I'm not saying, again, you need to go find a black friend. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm just saying just just stay open. And I do pray to God will send you somebody that you can be honest with, just like God sent uh, Beth to journey with me and for me to journey with Beth. And so we've just really grown together in this season. And Beth is just God is continuing to show her kind of like what's her right next steps uh, that she should take. But she's also used me to be an accountability partner with her. And I have grown in my conversations with her. And so it's something she may run by me like, hey, Candace, what do you think of that? I'm like, oh, no, no, Beth, don't go do that tomorrow. Wait on that big idea. But here's some, you know, smaller steps that you can take, you know, to begin the work of dismantling racism and doing the work of justice in your community. So again, it, it's been a tough season, but I'm very encouraged by what I see God doing in the church and how God is raising up people like Beth's and other leaders, too, that are just using their voice, using their power, sharing their privileges uh, to really bring about the real kingdom of God. So thank you. Uh, thank you, Candice, for sharing that. I think that's so helpful. I mean, I wrote down um, just really quickly doing it with others. Be open that I might not actually know and then um, actually do the hard work of wrestling. So if that means reading one of these books or having some accountability around that, I, I find that so helpful. And I, I do um, just want to acknowledge, I, I can't, um, and I wish I could, but I, I, I've heard from many of my friends who um, come from black and brown communities that it has been weighty because not only are they kind of dealing with the turmoil, but they're, um, they have so many people asking questions like, you know, what do we do? What do we do? And it only layers in another top of like, oh my gosh, just do the hard work yourself. Come on, like pick up a book, you know, it's like, get it together. Um, and so I just, I acknowledge that and empathize. And I, I tell you, thank you for the extra mile and for the, yeah, the extra kind of emotions that you've had to carry in the midst of, you know, in, in the midst of this last year. So it's just, yeah. Thank you, Candace. Um, Jaime, what would you what would you say as far as the next step goes in these last few minutes? Yeah, so uh, I guess uh, a few ideas come to mind. So one of them, going back to the chart that you were showing us at uh, at the beginning, Ryan, I think that we need to know where where we are in terms of the process, and then to understand that it is a journey, it is it is a process. So that's one that's one quick idea. Another quick idea, and and to echo what what Candace has been sharing with us, I feel like we really need to. To, to pay attention and to listen to every voice at the table. And, you know, as a, mm. as a Latino, you know, that has been a, my, my own struggle um, in, in this context. And I think that we're missing so much, you know, as we're, we're just not on target working as the body of Christ if we're not listening to, to every voice at, at the table. And that means being intentional about giving the microphone and, and, and listening from, from others. Um, I, a friend of mine was sharing how he doesn't like when we talk about theology from, from Latinos or, or from uh, African-Americans, how we label that as black theology or as Hispanic theology, because uh, it, it kind of, uh, we, I mean, there is a, the, in a sense, that the, the, it, it could be a, a valid term, but in many ways, uh, many times we label, you know, theology that is coming from those voices to kind of discredit and to limit, you know, the impact that that might have on the overall conversation. And um, uh, the Atlantic, by the way, just published yesterday an article that says that Latinos are the fastest growing group of American evangelicals. And in many ways, I feel that part of our struggle is that we still feel outside the conversation of the 
that is going on in the in the evangelical world. So that's uh, listen to every voice at the table. I think that's just a, a biblical picture of where the church should be. And the last thing that I that I would like to to mention is that. <clears throat> You know, the, the, the New Testament talks about the gospel sometimes with an individual focus where a person's heart is, is changed, his sins are forgiven, and, and we begin to walk with, with Jesus. But sometimes he talks from a macro perspective of talking about how God is making all things new and how God is restoring his creation from sin. And we need to keep both of these perspectives in front of us, especially as we come out of this pandemic or as we continue to navigate through it. I mean, the pandemic has revealed, at least to, to me, how much I need gospel renewal. I mean, for the last 18 months, I have grown in anxiety, confusion, loneliness, depression, hopelessness, fears, and I mean, you name it. And none of that has made me a more joyful person or a better husband or neighbor or that, but quite the opposite. And what I need is, is Jesus. And I need to be reminded of his forgiveness and of his credit righteousness that I received by grace and of the new identity that I have in him and of how much, you know, the father delights in me because of, of Jesus. So I, I need to be re-Jesus as to, to borrow uh, Alan Hirsch's phrase. And as the body of Christ, we need that, not, not just that individual gospel renewal, but we also need this other cosmic perspective gospel renewal where we are reminded that this pandemic doesn't reign our god reigns there is a better future you know and keep that uh positive uh perspective that that candace was talking about i mean i love that return to jesus the jesus of the gospels not the jesus of our denomination or the jesus of our theology but the jesus of the gospels um thank you jaime for sharing those words with us uh uh, in fact, I'm thinking, man, I need to pick up a gospel again and just start reading through it over and over and over. Um, so thank you, Jaime, for that. Thank you for listening to the Forge America Missional Podcast. Forge America longs to see the reign of God revealed in the everyday spaces of life. To do this, we partner with local movements to mobilize the people of God to participate in the everyday mission of God. If you'd like to know more about Forge America, feel free to check us out at forgeamerica.com.